You God, oh my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the riches of food. And singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. It's great to see you um, in the, at the end of this series in 27, 30 years' time, when the, the elders have gone through all of the Psalms in the summer. I hope you'll agree with me that Psalm 63 is the best song. <laughs> it's been my favourite. I wasn't ready to preach it last year. Uh, Adam told me he, he hadn't really come across it much, but I hope in the next few minutes you will join with me and see its merits. Let me pray before we start. Dear Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the, the views into Jesus and onto him that we can get through it. And I pray that you would help us to inform our hearts as well as our minds. Please train your people. Please shape us. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever suddenly noticed that you are really thirsty or hungry? You see, if you're really busy or preoccupied, and then suddenly, without feeling a little bit thirsty or a little bit hungry first, you are parched and you really need a drink or, or something to eat. Usually we notice that kind of thing building up in us gradually, don't we? But sometimes it can happen very quickly. It just overtakes us. And some of us are, are kind of more aware of our appetites than others. Sometimes we, we just sort of wake up from a bit of work and oh, I'm really hungry. Oh, I'm really thirsty. Others, we know about it straight away. And we, uh, we can be the same with feelings as well. We don't notice we're upset until suddenly it's really powerful. And I think lockdown has made some of us more detached from our feelings than others. We haven't been hungry or thirsty so much. We've been very near a fridge for a lot of the time, and that's, that's been its own problem sometimes. But our feelings, yeah, they can become very strong and very powerful very quickly. We find ourselves suddenly angry, positively, or moved, or grateful, or kind. But all of us, this psalm says, have another appetite which we tune out sometimes and never more so than recently. This psalm tells us that we have an appetite for God. David starts this psalm, you notice it perhaps when one was reading, about David seeking God earnestly and expressing it like it's a thirst. He's in a desert where there is no water, so we might expect him to be wanting uh, something to drink, but his greater desire here is for God. And whether we're aware of it or not, we need God too. If we were once regular in church, hearing God speak by his word, we can still find ourselves spiritually starving or spiritually dehydrated. 
I remember in the early days of a home group at, at Grace Church, someone coming back into regular Bible study. Only then realizing what he had been missing. It may have been like that for you, reconnecting with God or church in the last few weeks. So if that's how the psalm starts in verse 1, by verse 5, David is confident he's going to be satisfied. He's going to be full. He isn't there yet, but he knows he's not going to go on searching or hungering or longing forever. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And the words here are to do with feasts, the idea of multiple courses or dishes, I think. Drinks can be assumed uh, to be included as well. The old translations of the Bible from Tudor and Stuart times say satisfied as with marrow and fatness. So what is it that gives David confidence that his spiritual thirst will be quenched and his spiritual hunger satisfied? And could we do with some of that ourselves this morning? The situations are different. Our situation is different. David was in his time and we are in ours, but God is the same. And so we ought to be able to find something to encourage us here. The same God who helped David write this psalm, who made him aware of the appetite he had, is the same God we can pray to and is the same God we can be satisfied by. David does two things. He looks back to a place and a moment when he knew God's power and glory where he had seen the revelation and the actions of God in his life and in the history of his nation. And he had seen the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And in this, he sees God's love as better than life itself. And then secondly, he commits to singing about it. In fact, the feasting verse is in the middle of repeated declarations that he will sing to God. The end of verse three is, my lips will glorify you. Verse four, I will praise you as long as I live. And lifting up of hands, that's a sign of praising too. And then after the feasting bit, we have the singing lips again, and then some remembering and some thinking, but then singing comes back in verse seven. It's singing, singing, singing. And to be honest, it's a bit hard to gear ourselves up. I mean, it sounds like a musical or an opera. People just burst into song for no reason. It's a bit of a strange. I mean, real life isn't Mary Poppins or Mamma Mia, is it? David was a soldier. That soldier singing doesn't really work for us. The only soldier I can think of in our culture at our time is, is James Blunt. <laughs> and if you don't know who James Blunt is, just be very careful before you put him on your Spotify playlist. I'm not sure there are many other soldier troubadours that we can seize on to get a present-day role on how this might fit together for us. David's feelings are intense. Ours are milder maybe even flat during the prayer. David is articulate and poetic, but we, we don't use that same range of vocabulary. David was in a full-on situation, a civil war, basically, and there's been so little happening for some of us that it's felt like a full-off situation. We've been looking at 1 Samuel in a series through much of this year, where David didn't always make good decisions. But in 2 Samuel, David goes further, he, he makes worse decisions, he commits adultery, he commits murder. And on the face of that, he's, he's a bit of a problematic person for our culture. He's a bit of a problematic person for us to copy lifestyle patterns from. We chat about over the garden fence with a neighbor. But I want to say that this Psalm of David is really useful and inspiring, but only if we get good answers to two questions. One, who is our king? And two, 
What is God's love for us? If we can get these right, then the way is open for us to find satisfaction for our spiritual appetite too, and indeed to get it from the psalm. Our king, simply put, is Jesus, not David. David went before. He was a good pattern in some ways, a terrible example in few. But our king is Jesus. Jesus went to a desert place at the beginning of his teaching and healing. Jesus prayed earnestly. He sought God through the night several times. Jesus visited the sanctuary, but when he went there, he was God's power and glory. The fullness of God was in him, the Bible says. It was hidden for many. But once the Bible was opened, the wise men in the temple marveled at the truth he taught. The power and the glory were hidden to many at the time, in spite of the amazing miracles and examples of mercy and kindness. People at Jesus' time didn't get it, but he was, and to us still is, God's love. He is that love. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. David's visit to the sanctuary, which we read about in 1 Samuel, sees him telling lies about a mission from Saul and actually was running away from Saul in fear for his life. Tradition has it that this psalm was written later in David's life when the son conceived in the adultery launches an attempted coup at a time of real disorder and dysfunction. Jesus' time is different. It's not a time of war. But his life marked the start of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. A far more profound and lasting change for far more people. In fact, it was the beginning of reconciliation, good, full reconciliation between races and between God and humanity, no less. A good reordering, you might say. So there are many ways in which the details here map between Jesus and David. There are some parallels between our king and this king. But each time they map in parallel, our king is greater. The last part, which describes the victory of the king, doesn't map so neatly onto the life of Jesus, does it? Jesus' enemies were not killed by swords. When Peter, Jesus' disciples, uh, disciple, tried to use a blade, Jesus stepped in, Jesus stopped it, and Jesus healed the injured. And one of the soldiers who put Jesus on the cross confessed that Jesus really was the son of God shortly afterwards and wonderfully did not stay in him. So Jesus' biography is different from David, but the Bible says that all of it connects to Jesus. So we can open this psalm and expect to see something of Jesus, sometimes in contrast, sometimes in parallel to David, because the same God for David is Jesus' father and Jesus in our king. <coughs> and we need to read this psalm with Jesus in mind. It's a bit like watching Ninja Warrior. You come across that program, it's very popular in our house. Ninja Warrior, no? Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's one of those shows where a, a variety of people try to compete a really tough obstacle course. Now, some of the people are very silly and they don't get very far. And others take it very seriously and actually some of them don't get very far either. It's a bit like Total Wipeout. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, bouncing between the balls somewhere in Argentina, I think. But there is one big difference with Ninja Warrior. In the beginning of each round, the ninja runs the course and he is fine. 
and he is agile, and he doesn't make any mistakes, and he completes the course where no one else can. If we just take David's example, and we make his poem our poem, then we can be disappointed. It's a very high standard of faith. It's a very high standard of feeling and behavior that David himself did not consistently live up to. But let Jesus run the course. Let Jesus go through the psalm first, and we will see that he sustains the patterns, he fulfills the promises, and he receives the blessings. When the risen Jesus appears to two of his followers on the road to Emmaus, he used all of the scriptures, including the Psalms, to explain who he was and what had happened. If we trust in Jesus, we get to be on the same team as him. Another big difference. The Bible is clear that we can join him and that Christians are united with Christ. It's like being on Team Ninja. In football, your team might not win. In other sports, your champion might be a major disappointment when you get to meet him. But if we follow Jesus, he does all things well, and we can share in the joys and the blessings with him. Jesus' life and challenges are different from David's, and so they're both different from ours. But what Jesus did on the cross is a transferable victory once for all. He took away sin, and his perfect record is ours. If we would receive it. Verse 11 has three categories of people the king who will rejoice in God, those who swear by God and will glory in him, and liars whose mouths will be silenced. Are we the king? No, not quite. We don't fulfill the destiny bits of this. Are we the liars who reject the truth of the king? Well, I hope not. But if we deny that Jesus is our right king, and that is what we are this morning. I hope most of us are in the middle of those who can glory and celebrate that. And I hope we will be able to tell this story wherever stories can be told. It is like in 1 Samuel, where we are not to see ourselves so much as David in the second half of the book as we were hearing it this year, but identify with the 600 desperados who joined the promised kings unit. Yes, we have our own crosses to bear. The Bible does say that. But those crosses are not the cross. We cannot achieve what Jesus did by fulfilling this psalm or any cross. We cannot save anyone. We cannot clean anyone from unrighteousness through our lives. And that is a great comfort when we don't feel what Jesus or David felt. And that is a great comfort when we don't achieve what either of them achieved. Last Sunday night, I, I didn't sleep well. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was after all that heavy rain. If you've been away, there was some very heavy rain. And along with several houses around us, we had a power cut. I started to think through all the things we use electricity for, all the things that were running out of battery power. I couldn't move because I didn't want to wake my wife. My head was full of family concerns, how to help the others get away for a few days this week. What I needed to do to make that still happen. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you have fewer worries if you're single. <laughs> but my point is this. I didn't apply verse 6 once. I didn't remember God. I didn't remember his words. I didn't remember his love through the watches that night. It would have been a good thing to do, but I just didn't do it. But I can trust that Jesus did put all his cares onto his heavenly Father and his on earth. And I can trust that he is seated at God's right hand. 
and is sympathetic to our cares today. And I can trust that God the Father does not slumber or sleep, as we heard last week. And I know that if I'm awake in the night again, I can remember his words and his deeds and his love. And I know that when things are tough, and I don't just mean power cut tough, I can cling to God because his mighty right hand is holding me. His covenant love, his steadfast, unflinching affection for me will not waver. Indeed, God's love is better than life. Did you bump on that when Robin was reading? Did you notice when we read it? That phrase really sticks out for me. Your love is better than life. For David, it was proved by the power and glory of the sanctuary that God, who is so powerful and so glorious, would dedicate a place and a method to reconciling sinful human beings to himself. That is how David knew God loved. But it's a strange phrase, and it's one that doesn't sit very easily in our culture. We're more likely to hear phrases about living your best life. Have you heard of it? Well, this is saying that there's something better than life, and it's God's love. When writers today try to talk about a better world, the humans they put in there are either unbelievable characters or they mess it up. Uh, the sci-fi comedy Red Dwarf had an episode called Better Than Life, where the humans can't escape from the disappointing thought patterns to really enjoy a different life in. A tax official turns up at the end to spoil the car. Someone said, people living in a golden age usually go around complaining how yellow everything looks. But when Jesus says to God, your love is better than life, that makes sense. That makes sense because there are echoes right into Philippians 2, if you know, where Jesus, for the joy set out before him and for the loving plan that God the Father had set out, went through to the cross. And that's explained. God's love was greater than Jesus keeping his life. God's love is what will make the life to come worth living. Maybe a gold Cadillac for everybody, or swimming in chocolate that will satisfy us. We'll even be seeing our favourite relative again. It will be God himself and his love. If you are the kind of person who sets a phone alarm to remind you of a key point for the sermon, go ahead and do that. But don't just have better than life, or don't just even have God's love is better than life. Because that phrase, much as I've seized on it, isn't just a truth to be remembered. It's supposed to be a basis for action. Praise God when you get an earworm. Do you get earworms? Do you know what I mean by an earworm? Yeah, an earworm is a song that goes in and then you find yourself singing again and again, repeatedly afterwards. Maybe it should be an earbird from the earworm. I had one last month. Did you, have, did you have this one? You might have had this one. It's quite popular. People sing it a lot of places. Southgate, you're the one. Keep it. Did you have that there? <laughs> it's just me. As you know, I find myself singing an earworm in the shower. Oh, poor daughters. So this time I turned it around and I changed the words. Jesus, you're the one. You still give me hope. I don't have Carl's courage to actually sing much more than the uh, mm-hmm. microphone as I did last week. And I reckon as long as we don't put this on TikTok, the atomic kidneys aren't going to come after us for royalties. And so don't worry. Praise God with whatever music you have around is what I'm trying to say. Now, usually I need an accompaniment. And James Burstow, 
it helped us this morning, has put together two playlists of songs that we sing here in the winter. YouTube said, I was your first subscriber, Jim. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> Just, uh, a few weeks ago, I was feeling flat and spiritually adrift, and uh, I was in the office, but I turned it on for half an hour. It was helpful. I had to hide the tab. Uh, we are actually allowed to watch YouTube at the moment in the office because there's so few people in the office that it doesn't really uh, touch the sides of the bandwidth. But I kept getting adverts for fact bits. But <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, between the adverts, it was very, it was very helpful. It's just a bit awkward seeing as I work for a competitor. <laughs> but it was very encouraging. And I didn't sing in the office, but I did later on on my bike. Get the help and the accompaniment you need to praise God. Aaron and I have just started talking about maybe one or two of the points in the day where we listen to the radio, turning on a playlist. Praise God with truth. Praise God with the truth of the power and the glory we see in Christ, and particularly Christ at the cross. Praise God because his love is better than life. If ever you doubt God's love, find songs that sing about the cross and what Jesus did to your sin birthday. Choose those songs. Glorify that story. And sing if you can. If you think your family or the other passengers on the bus will be. <laughs> Praise God when you just want to curl up under a doodah. Because you are in the shadow of his wings. Real spiritual protection is yours. Cling to him. And know it is his mighty right hand that is keeping you in the tough days when you can't even do the basics. The lid of the ark of the covenant had statues with wings marking out the center of God's glory. And that is where David trusted he was. That mercy seat. And he has got him, he had got himself in worse situations in his life than you had in yours. And so sin. We can know God's power and glory through King Jesus, who promised to be with us until the end of the age. Praise God. Praise God. Even when your heart is breaking, praise God, even when you just don't feel like it. And to be honest, you won't feel like it for days. Praise God in the shadow of his wings. Praise God with any language you know. I learned a new song, a new language this week. I'll say it rather than sing it. E da sakata, e da sakata, e na vukunidra, ke na nona vosa, e da sakata. And then wonderfully, this choir went on to sing the same words again in English. We have overcome. We have overcome. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord, we have overcome. What a great, great set of words in this song. Uh, this, this choir I heard singing uh, is actually also very good at rugby. They sung it uh, after Olympic final. And they gave the glory to Jesus straight away. One day, the Fijian men might fail to win the gold medal at rugby sevens. But I hope they never stop singing that song. <laughs> because the greater victory belongs to Jesus. The words are from Revelation. So I think many of us will be able to sing with them when God gathers his people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Sing the songs of heaven I have seen you in the sanctuary.
I have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Let me pray for this. Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for your amazing love that achieves so much, that demonstrates your power and your glory so precisely, so awesomely, so delicately, and so majestically at the same time. Father God, please help us to remember you alone. Please help us to work out how to sing, how to make music in our hearts and in our, in our voices and mouths and lips too. Help us to remember the cross. Help us to remember your, your son, Jesus, achieved that. And help us to celebrate it, not just remember it. Amen. Amen.